Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. We are in week two of getting to be here in Albuquerque, so um, thank you for not kicking us out yet. That's great. We are excited to be here. It has been a slow process, but in the meantime, we have been trying to explore Albuquerque and just find out what Albuquerque is all about and get to know people. And I noticed something interesting in driving through Albuquerque, and it's a big city, and there's a lot to explore, but there are a lot of businesses that are either going out or they're under new management. I've seen quite a few that have said, said under new management. And usually when that happens, it's because something's not going quite so well for that business. Uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but you and I enter into this world, we're born into this world underneath a form of management. I am praising the Lord that the moment we trusted Christ, we were put under new management. We were no longer under the old management of Satan, of self, uh, of the world's philosophies. So today we are on a passage, and don't knock me for this, you'll hear me say this probably quite a few times, but this is quite possibly one of the most important passages that we are going to go through together as a body of believers. It's Ephesians chapter 2. If you've got your Bibles and you'd go there, Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 is really one of the linchpin passages of all of the gospel. Um, it's been said that Ephesians is almost like a mini book of Romans. Um, at one point in time, I took our church uh, out in Washington, and then also when I pastored in San Diego through the book of Romans, um, but come to discover that Ephesians is almost like a Cliff Notes version uh, of the book of Romans. So if you got your Bibles and you'd go there with me, uh, go to Ephesians chapter 2. We are in verses 1 through 10, and this is the morning where we get to take a look at all three parts or all three tenses of our salvation, past, present, and future. This is going to be extremely important for us. Who were you? Who are you? And who are you going to be? Now, I don't know about you, but I sure am thankful to the Lord Jesus that he didn't leave me where I was. I am thankful that he has brought me to the place of where I am, but I'm even more thankful that it's going to get even better when I get into heaven, because even some of the nuances, the hang-ups, and the struggles that I still have with sin are going to go away someday. I can't wait for that day, but I sure am thankful for what he's done in my life thus far. If you'd go with me to Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, I'd like to just read the whole thing in context, and then together we're going to break this down and look at the three tenses of our salvation, past, present, and future. Are we ready? There we go. Thank you. Man, just so you all know, we do have a coffee bar out there. Uh, we are looking at instituting uh, caffeine IV drips coming up really soon. So, oh boy. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, we didn't do this last week, and I, and I blew it, but Jesus is King of Kings. He's Lord of Lords. He has no rival. He is unparalleled. And oftentimes what would happen when a king would come riding into town on a white steed with all the pomp and, and fanfare, one of two things would happen. They would either fall down at the king's feet or they would stand in recognition of who he is. I'm not going to make you get down on your hands and knees, but would you stand with me just as we read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10? And then as soon as I'm done reading this, uh, feel free to just go ahead and sit back down. Ephesians chapter 2, 
beginning in verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages we might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Go ahead and have a seat. Thanks, gang. As we begin to break this down, um, I like to steal things from VeggieTales. If you all aren't familiar with VeggieTales, it is a theologically deep and moving cartoon. Um, But they typically have what they call the big idea. Hey, kids, here's the big idea. Well, I'd like to take what it is that, whether it be the Apostle Paul or another one of the gospel writers writes for us, and try to condense it down into a simple big idea. If you were to walk away from this morning with nothing else, this is the one thing that I would hope that we would grasp this morning. This is our big idea. God In his grace and in his mercy, he has brought us from death to life through the free gift of Jesus' death and resurrection on our behalf. Now, don't miss that. You may read that and go, duh, we know that. We've been in church long enough to know that it's only through Jesus' free gift that we've been brought from death to life. But don't miss out on the significance of some of those words. First off, in the scriptures, what does the word death mean? What do you think of when you think of death? The dude ain't breathing anymore. There's no more brainwaves going, right? That's not what Scripture speaks of when it speaks of death. It doesn't speak of a ceasing to exist. Death, almost always in Scripture, means a separation. So when we die, there is going to be a separation of our soul from our body. And then it will go to one of two places. It's either going to be in heaven with the Lord because you have trusted the free gift of salvation found in Jesus, or you're going to experience what's called the second death. Well, what's the second death all about? Well, remember, what's the first death? It's when your soul is separated from the body. So what's the second death? It's when your soul is separated from God forever because of a rejection of the free gift of the gospel message. So when it says that we are brought from death to life, what is life? Well, we tend to think of life as while you're breathing and you have brain waves. But actually, life in the scriptures almost always refers to union. So when you and I are physically alive, our soul is still attached to our body. When we go to be with the Lord, if we have trusted in the Lord Jesus, we have him as our advocate, and we stand before God the Father, he is going to invite us into eternal union with him. That's what eternal life is. So death, separation, life is union. Now with that said, let's break apart these three uh, tenses of salvation. Again, if you've got your Bibles, go back to Ephesians chapter 2 with me. Look at just verses 1 through 3, and here here comes our past. Here comes who we were. It says, and you were dead 
in the trespasses and sins. Let me stop there. Why does Paul hit on trespasses and sins? Those are two Greek words with actually two different meanings, but Paul wants to be sure that we're aware of just how messed up we really are. A trespass is to go beyond a boundary or what God has designed for you. God has given us boundaries in our lives. As sinners and and being rebellious in nature, we tend to not like boundaries. But if you know anything about boundaries, they are for your protection. There are reasons that guardrails are put up around large cliffs so that people don't walk off them and die. God has given you boundaries in your life. He's given you boundaries on sexuality. He's given you boundaries on how you use your mouth. He's given you boundaries on what you do with your money. And a lot of people in the world look at God and go, no one's going to tell me what to do. I am the master of my own destiny. That is the dumbest thing in the world. Everybody is being told what to do all the time. The question is, who are you listening to? So the boundaries that God gives you, he actually gives boundaries to his kids for a good reason. There is a reason why I would tell my kids not to go play on the I-5 freeway when we lived in San Diego. Because if you get hit by a car, the car will win every single time. You will lose. So we set up boundaries so they don't get themselves killed. We tell our kids not to stick uh, metal forks into outlets for a reason. There's a boundary there. Because if you do, you will have a Don King hairdo from this point forward. It will be amazing. So don't do it. So God says, I got a boundary for you. The word sin is actually an archery term. It means to fall short. So you rear back and you fire and the bow is not taut and so it falls short of that particular mark. You and I are professionals at going beyond the boundaries that God has set and falling short of the glory that we're supposed to live up to. Okay, that's the bad news. That's you were, and he goes on, he goes, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Let's just start off by saying this. Consider who you were. Now, we're not going to stay there. If we just stayed at verse 3, it's quite depressing. You and I are a mess. We are a mess in our sin. We are a mess in our trespasses. We are a mess in our transgressions. And here's what these things did to us. They were killing us. Again, if you're a note taker, I'm going to try to go slow enough so you can jot some of this down, but you were dead. Remember what the word dead means. It means separated. You and I were separated from God by our sin. He cannot allow anything unholy into his heaven. He cannot allow anything imperfect into his heaven, which means that if you and I were to die in our sin, we could not be in heaven with the Lord. Now, you may be hearing this and going, well, then we're all doomed because we all sin. But here's the good news. If you have trusted in the Lord Jesus... Paul tells us in another letter to the churches in Galatia, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, for I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That means the moment that I die, here's the good news, God doesn't see, God the Father doesn't see Dave DeShop. Do you know who he sees? Jesus. If he sees you or I, we're in a lot of trouble. This is where you're going to have to allow your pastor to be politically incorrect. But religion has got it all wrong. Religions have got it all wrong, and there's a lot of them. So it doesn't matter if you're part of the Buddhist faith or the Hindu faith or the Mormon faith or Jehovah's Witness faith. 
Every single one of those religions has attempted to build a ladder to ascend into heaven, to be with God based off their good works. Scripture makes as clear as can be that there is no good work that you or I can do to atone for our sin, which means that when we stand before God, we are hopelessly doomed. Now again, Paul has to make this clear in order for salvation to become as beautiful and as amazing as it is. Don't forget who you were. You were dead. You were separated. Paul says this in Romans 7.24. Catch this. He says, wretched man that I am. This is one of the apostles. This is one of the ones who was used to write a third of the New Testament. Paul wrote 13 New Testament books. And what does he say about himself? Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? I believe what Paul was referring to was a form of torture that the Romans would use on those that were considered guilty of something. Typically, if you committed treason, one of the acts of torture that the Romans would give to you was they would take a dead body, a corpse, and they would chain it to you and lock it up so that you could never escape it. And over the course of days or weeks, that rotting, decaying body would, would slowly begin to seep into your system. And you would get all kinds of nasty diseases and go through all kinds of different uh, conditions before you would finally die. For some, it would only take a few days. For others, it would take up to a month. Imagine being chained to a corpse that's rotting and it would simply seep into your system, killing you. This is probably what Paul is referring to. That is the word picture that he gives the church in Rome for those that are dying in their sin. Isn't that disgusting? And what Paul is trying to drive home is hopefully you would be just as disgusted by your sin. One of the things that I noticed before I became a believer at the age of 21 is I thought sin was fun and I would relish in it and I would boast about it. And then after I came to know Jesus, I noticed that the same sin that I once relished in and boasted about was disgusting. Made me recognize that the things that I thought and said and did were, were just gross and I wanted to get away from them. And that's how Paul describes sin when it comes to a dead corpse being attached to our bodies. Who's going to rescue me from it? Well, there's only one that could actually rescue you from that sin and set you free from that body of death. And he makes very clear who that is. I'm going to give you the answer in just a moment. Many of you probably know. But here's the second thing that Paul says. Not only were you dead, but you were unrighteous. He speaks of how we walked in those very things, he says, and whence you which walked, following the course of this world or the pattern or the worldview or the mindset, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And then he begins to unpack what that looks like. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul says you were unrighteous. You were drawn to sin. It was sucking you in like a moth seeing a light at night. Let me give you another analogy for all the old people in the room. How many of you all remember who Paul Harvey was? Anybody know the name Paul Harvey? Some of you that aren't even old know Paul. Okay, cool. So he was a radio personality, and he once gave this analogy, and I thought how appropriate to how we get drawn to the very things that are killing us. He talked about how an Eskimo 
would lure in a wolf and have it killed. He said what he'd do is he would take a knife and he would cover it in animal's blood and then let it freeze. And then he'd cover it in another coat of animal's blood and let it freeze. And then he'd do that again. And then he would stick it blade side up in the snow. And the wolf would show up and begin to lick that blood. And the more he got the taste for this blood, the more he would lick more and more feverishly until all of a sudden he didn't even recognize that that blade was cutting through his own tongue and through his own mouth. But he had such an insatiable desire for blood that he would continue to lick until the Eskimo would find that wolf dead come dawn. You're getting all the great word pictures this morning, aren't you? I love just watching some of your faces. This is great, but at least you won't forget. That's a very appropriate analogy to how we continue to go after the very things that are killing us without even recognizing it. How many people day after day are looking for hope in the bottom of a bottle only to find out that it will never satisfy, but yet they continue to go back for more? How many men in today's day and age are being ravaged by pornographic addictions and not even recognizing that this is wrecking them, it's wrecking their families, and it's wrecking legacies? How many people are being uh, wrecked by greed going after more and more and more. And there's this little thing when it comes to sin called the law of diminishing returns, which means that I need more and more of it in order for it to bring me the same satisfaction. And in all of this, Paul says, you are also objects of wrath. Because of the very things that you were doing, carrying out the desires of the body, living in the passions of your flesh, you are actually children of wrath. The Greek word that's used for the word wrath is the word orges. The word orges literally means properly settled anger, rising up from ongoing opposition. Listen to that again, it's kind of a mouthful, but the definition of that Greek word orges literally means properly settled anger, rising up from ongoing opposition. That simply means that God has every right to be angry with how we have chosen to live our lives. He has every right to pour out his full wrath upon mankind. But we're about to get to the good news. Instead of simply saying, fine, I'm going to leave you to go to hell and I'm going to pour out all my wrath on you, God is going to give us the greatest gift of all. You don't have to turn there, but I would encourage you at some point in time, jot it down, memorize it, but 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says, Jesus Christ is the propitiation not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. That's a big churchy word, propitiation. Let me boil it down to a simple definition. It literally means the appeasement for wrath. Three simple words, appeasement for wrath. God satisfied all his wrath, every ounce of anger that he had against sin in his son, Jesus Christ. He paid the full penalty for every single one of our sins. There's nothing, again, let me reiterate this, there is nothing that you can do or I can do to pay the penalty for our sin. That's great news. In fact, here comes the greatest news of all, beginning in verse 4. If you haven't heard me say it, I'm going to say it again. In Scripture, God's got some really big butts. It's a good thing. Listen to this. But God, there's a big transition there. 
We're going to go from who we were now to who we are because of what Jesus has done. We're going to go from the mess that we were in our sin to who we are because of what Jesus has done to rescue us from it. Celebrate who you are. Well, who are you now? Well, listen, but God, being rich in mercy, because of how awesome you and I are, who's got their Bibles open? Play along with me. Is it because of how awesome you and I are? Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Did you hear what Paul just said? He didn't wait. God didn't wait for you to make yourself clean and make yourself all better. There's a reason. You can't. Do you know what dead people do? Work with me here. What do dead people do? Nothing. Why? Because they're dead. Did you know that dead people can do nothing to, to help themselves or save themselves? That means that you and I could do absolutely nothing in order to save ourselves, in order to help ourselves. Jesus had to do all of it. So here we go. It says that even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. By the way, again, I'm going to stop for just a moment. If you want a good Bible study principle, there's this little thing called the law of double mention in Scripture, which means that if something is mentioned twice in the same passage or three times, pay close attention. You're going to hear Paul say a few times, by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and he seated us in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Why did he save us? For his glory, because of his grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Did you know that I have nothing to boast about when it comes to my salvation? Did you know that I have nothing to boast about when it comes to my personality or my gifts? None of it. It's all on loan. It's all been given to me. I didn't earn any of it. In fact, I did the opposite. Do you know what I earned? I earned death, I earned wrath, I earned condemnation. But instead of being given what I deserve, God gave me grace and God gave me mercy, two things that I don't deserve whatsoever. So the first thing that we note is by grace, by unmerited favor, you and I are saved. A guy named Lloyd Steffen in something called The, the Christian Century, which was an old-time magazine posted, uh, he talked about King Frederick II. He was an 18th century king of Prussia. And he was at one point visiting a prison in Berlin. And all the inmates tried to get this king to believe that they were innocent and they should be let free. And in the midst of all the commotion, he noticed one prisoner just sitting in the corner by himself. And he asked this prisoner, he said, son, what are you here for? He said, armed robbery. He said, well, were you guilty? He said, yes, sir. I completely deserve what I'm getting. And the king looked at the inmates and he said, this is the one that I want you to set free. Because the king honestly believed that this was the one that was actually going to have some kind of life change based off his recognition of his guilt. There are a lot of people running around today saying, I'm not, I don't need a savior. I haven't done anything. I'm not guilty. Well, we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But what a blessing that even while I was guilty, 
Jesus said, I'm going to pluck you out of that guilt. I'm going to pluck you out of that muck and that mire. I'm going to save you. And it says in verse 6 that here's what I'm going to do for you. Don't miss this because, this, guys, this is great reason for rejoicing. It's Sunday. Many of you are going to leave here and you're going to root for the Denver Broncos. Um, but there's something to be even more excited about. And it's not even my chargers. There's something to be even more excited about. Listen to this. He has raised us up with him and he has seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. By grace, you are raised and seated. Now, again, this kind of stuff excites me, so bear with me. But in the Greek, when we read the words raised and seated, there are, they are in what is called the active aorist tense. Aorist is just a fancy word for past tense. It happened in the past. But what's weird about this passage is it says that he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus as though it's already happened. Active aorist. God did it, active, aorist, in the past. But we're not there yet. We're not in heaven. So why is he talking about something past tense that hasn't happened yet? Because when Jesus died on the cross and he rose again from the dead and then he made a promise to us as believers that we would be with him in heaven, it's as good as gold. It's as if it's already done. So you can leave this place rejoicing even if your life has fallen apart. Finances are in the tank. You lost a job. Think back to COVID and all the things that happened in the time of COVID with people losing jobs, joblessness and homelessness skyrocketing. I know that you all have, have faced it and it happened here in this church, but suicide rates have skyrocketed. During the time of COVID, go figure, pornographic addictions and money spent on things like pornography skyrocketed because everybody's on a computer with nowhere to go. And you may be thinking, what hope do we have? We have such great hope that our being perfected in Christ and being in heaven with him, it's as if it's already happened. Isn't that a reason to rejoice and be excited? That's better than the Broncos. Well, listen, if you're wondering how in the world do we get to a point where we are made alive and we are fixed, I want to make sure that we are as clear as can be, you can't do it. It's only in Christ. It's only in trusting in that free gift in Jesus Christ that we've got any hope. I want to share with you one more quick illustration before we get ready to round out what Paul had to say. But many, many, many years ago, the Standard Oil Company began to refine petroleum. It's being used for fuels, and it would produce this black substance that was nasty and stinky and sticky, and it couldn't be buried, it couldn't be burned, and everyone would complain about the stench. We've got to do something about this. If you run it into a stream, fish would die, the waters would become polluted. So finally, the company put out that if anybody can figure out what to do with this stuff, we'll give you a pretty decent reward. So a whole bunch of chemists that were attracted to this promise of reward, they occupied themselves day and night trying to figure out what to do with this nasty stuff. Well, finally, a guy walks into Mr. Rockefeller's office. You all have heard of Mr. Rockefeller, right? They, he walks into his office with this white, shiny substance, completely free of every offensive quality. And it ended up becoming extremely useful. 
It's called paraffin. If you don't know what we use paraffin for, we use it to make candles and literally hundreds of other things. Like that chemist, God comes in and he says, I know how to take all the dirty, sticky, stinking parts of your life, and I know how to apply the blood of my son Jesus Christ to it and completely cleanse you from every impurity. Now, you may be sitting here saying this going, I think you're a little off there, pastor, because I still struggle with my mouth. Just watch me drive down Paseo del Norte. I've been driving up and down that road lately, that awesome speedway that we call Paseo del Norte. And I'm like, oh, if I wasn't a believer right now, the things I'd be saying to some of y'all while you're driving down this road. But here's where I get extremely thankful, that even while I still struggle with things that I want to say, even though I still struggle with things that I think and things that I do, I am so thankful that in the eyes of God, I am completely perfected because of Jesus. He doesn't see Dave, he sees Jesus. Again, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but I don't want you to miss this. If you have trusted Jesus, he doesn't see you. He sees Jesus as your advocate standing before you. What a blessing that is. And it's because of that that we get to our final point this morning. Rejoice in what you will inherit. Did you know that you are going to get to inherit all the blessings of heaven But what's really going to make heaven heaven is not the place, but the person, and it's the person of Jesus. There are three things that Revelation chapter 21 tells us we are going to get to inherit when we get to heaven. And man, this is great because this will keep some of us going in the midst of the mess that we find ourselves in. And I don't think you need to answer this out loud. It's probably a pretty rhetorical question, but is our culture... Is our country, is our world in a little bit of a mess? (laughs) That's an understatement. It is a huge mess. And I am so thankful that one day these are the very things that we're going to get to inherit. Number one, we get to inherit eternity with Jesus. I listed that first on purpose because that is going to be the best. Man, I can't wait till we get home. I'm not talking about our home that we just bought here in Albuquerque. I'm talking about home. In fact, Albuquerque is not your home. Wherever it is that you were born and raised, we were born and raised San Diegans, that's not our home. None of those places will ever satisfy. We were incredibly blessed. We went to Hawaii for our 20-year anniversary last year as a family. And as beautiful as that place was, and as amazing as some of those fish were, and those crystal clear waters, those blue ocean waters, doesn't compare to heaven. That's not home. My aunt um, and, and her husband live in Kona. They're on the big island, and they love it. Neither of them have trusted Jesus, and they think that this is really all that there is, and that this is the best. Kona's beautiful. Hawaii is beautiful, does not compare to the beauty of Jesus and what heaven is going to be like. I can't wait. Because the other thing that we're going to get are really just icing on the cake. They're added bonuses. The best is going to be Jesus. But you and I, according to Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, will inherit eternity free from suffering and death. No more disease, no more sickness, no more decay, no more COVID, no more cancer, no more suicide. Isn't that a blessing? I can't wait. In the meantime, we're here, and we're in the midst of all of it. And 
I would love it if the world looked at New Covenant Church and went, y'all are weird because of the way you love each other. Y'all are weird because of how you are rejoicing even in the midst of a cancer diagnosis, even in the midst of COVID. Why are you so, again, don't, you don't have to be fake, but why are you rejoicing? I want to pause for a moment and hope we make that abundantly clear that even though we rejoice, it's still okay to grieve. It's still okay to actually be honest with each other. And when somebody walks up and says, how you doing? It's okay to be honest and say, right now, life kind of stinks. It's fallen apart. My marriage is a mess. My finances are in the tank. I don't feel good. Feel free to be honest. But then when we're done being honest, we can still look up at the Lord and say, but... I'm still going to rejoice knowing that just like we sang, you are good. Let me ask you, do you believe that? I mean, we sang it this morning. It's one thing to sing songs from rote memory. It's another thing to actually believe it. Let me ask you this morning, do you actually believe that God is good? Yes. What about when your life's falling apart? Is God still good? Yes. When you lose a loved one, is God still good? Yes. Lose a job? Yes. Absolutely. God is good. Some of you got it. God is good. And all the time. Amen. Last thing, you will inherit eternity safe at home. I know people that have battled through cancer issues that it was painful till the moment they died. I know others that battled other diseases. It was painful till the moment they died. But what we know is at the moment that they did die and their soul was freed from that decaying body, they got to be with the Lord, wrapped up in the arms of their Savior free at last. They got to be home free at last. Now, no one, nobody can go to heaven without knowing Jesus. So my great encouragement to each of us sitting here this morning is right now I want you to get into your mind somebody that you know that is yet to trust Jesus. Begin praying for them. Even as we're talking now, begin praying for them that God would be opening up the eyes and ears of their heart. You could present the most eloquent gospel presentation in the world, but if the Lord isn't the one drawing them into his family, we have no hope of seeing them saved. So be praying right now that God would be working on their heart, that God would be working on their minds, and be praying for who that person is. And then I'm going to ask you, and I'm going to pray for you, but let's pray that we would boldly leave this place and go share the good news of the gospel message of Jesus. Remember, it doesn't have to be all that controversial to look at somebody and just say, hey, I just want to let you know that that I love you, but I know somebody that loves you even more than I do. He is the one that created you. He loved you so much that even when you sinned against him, he died for you and then he rose again and he wants you to be in heaven with him forever. And the only way that you can do that is if you trust Jesus. Not all that controversial. Now, are they going to ask you hard questions? Are they going to give you pushback? Are they just going to say, are they going to say, you're just a bunch of people that hate abortionists and homosexuals? Maybe. And if they do, just keep bringing it back to the gospel. And we will unpack some of those hard things together. How do we walk through some of the, the nasty things that people say about believers? Well, we'll get there. We'll walk through that together as a church body. But for right now, I just want to make sure that we are crystal clear on what the gospel is. It's quite simple. It's the greatest news we've ever been given. There is a God who created all things. There has to be someone outside of time, space, and matter that created all things. He created us to be in a love relationship with him. 
We rebelled against him and wrecked that relationship. He loved us so much that he paid the penalty that we should be paying for sinning and wrecking that relationship, and he proved it by coming to us as the person of Jesus Christ, dying on a cross and rising again, and the only hope that we have is trusting in that payment for our penalty. That's the gospel. Amen? Amen. Let me spend a moment and just pray for us, and then we're going to continue to remember what it is that Jesus did for us in taking communion together. This is a good Sunday. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to get ready to take communion together. Lord Jesus, we just come before you, and we praise you now for who you are. Uh, Lord, Lord, first and foremost, we praise you for being you, and we thank you that you are the King of kings, that you are the Lord of lords, and Lord Jesus, you have no rival. Lord, you have no equal. Lord, you are unparalleled, and we celebrate that this morning. And it's simply because of who you are that you were able to pay the full penalty for our sin. That while no religious leader, no guru, and we ourselves couldn't pay the penalty for our sin, you did it for us. And so we rejoice in that this morning. Lord Jesus, we love you. We bring you honor and glory this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We have a great week.